I'm excited uh, tonight uh, to start off this new series in uh, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according uh, to Mark. I'm really excited to study the gospel of Mark with you. Um, so I want you right now to relax. Don't have your phone out. And I want you to listen because we're going to listen to the first chapter of Mark together. And I want all of us just to uh, be in your place, be listening. If you have to, close your eyes, and you can imagine uh, you're in the setting, okay? So we're going to listen to the first chapter of Mark together, and so looking forward uh, to all this. Thank you, Brother Yassine, for your help. I'll be with you shortly in a little bit. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority, and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? <laughs> 
I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. So when people tell me that the Bible is boring, I just don't believe them. The only sin Jesus ever had was ours, and the only righteousness we can ever have is His. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John Mark. It's time for the preaching. God's people said? Amen. All right. The, the message of Scripture is that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. I'm so grateful for the truths we find in Scripture and appreciative of actually Pastor Tyler Mackay and what he preached on Sunday, a needful sermon. Uh, remember, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. That just resonated with me. Uh, Genesis 41 verse 16, it is not in me.
It is not in you. The power that we have uh, to live the Christian life, it's not found within ourselves. It's found uh, within Jesus because all of our hope is in Jesus Christ. Before we begin this evening, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us, and I pray that as we go through a little overview of the book of Mark and then have a little hiatus next week because of missions conference, uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be fixated and uh, focused on the Lord tonight, Lord, and also I pray that you would bless the missions conference, but uh, before our mind gets carried away with other things, Lord, I pray that you would just bring our hearts, bring our minds to be centered on what you have to teach us right now at this very moment. Holy Spirit of God, please teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please understand that the New Testament authors were steeped in Old Testament imagery, in prophecies, and in writing styles. The Hebrew Bible ends still waiting for the promised Messiah, and we see that story really continued in the New Testament. When we look at the overall structure of the New Testament, we can see how the entire Bible tells one historical epic story from Genesis to Revelation that points to one person, and his name is Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus, the life, the death, the burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus. This is the truth that shall make us free, but first must make us miserable. We must realize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Leo, if anyone ever asks you, what is the meaning of life? Aaliyah, if anyone ever asks you, Brother Mehdi, if anyone ever asks you what the meaning of life is, you tell them 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The glory of God is the meaning of life, but we all fall short. That's why Jesus had to die. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Only God can meet the standard of God. That's why we need Jesus. And all of us, we have the ability to say yes to Jesus. We don't need sin anymore. Sin was defeated at the cross of Calvary. And so when you say yes to Jesus and ask him to fill you with his power, we understand that Jesus brings us freedom. Only Jesus can do that because he died and he rose again. He died and he didn't stay dead. He rose again to be victorious and to bring us true freedom. That's why Jesus had to die. And a message of really the, the, the first four books in your New Testament is that following Jesus is like dying. It's a little bit like dying. Luke 9, 23, uh, he said to them all, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This means rejecting violence and pride and dedicating oneself to live a life that is filled with the Spirit, both loving and serving the Lord. Now imagine, if you would, with me, uh, the glorious gospel represented by a mountain. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospels, S-Y-N, Optics, sin optics. So uh, we see that to mean seeing together. Sin, like synchronized swimming, synchro, right? Uh, sin optics, so that's seeing together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so they are seeing together. And so we're imagining the gospel here, like this, this summit, this mountain. And uh, no one's going to uh, fully arrive at the peak and understand everything, but on one side of the mountain, you have Matthew. On the other side of the mountain, you might have Mark. On another side of the mountain, you might see Luke, and they each tell the same story, but 
to a different audience in different ways. And uh, John is not included in this synoptic uh, uh, group of Gospels because uh, it has another purpose and it communicates uh, something different. It actually uh, talks about Jesus discoursing at length about theological matters, talking about uh, how Jesus is the Son of God. The Gospel, according to John, was written uh, to the whole world. It was really written to everyone, and so it portrays Jesus as the Son of God. Matthew uh, portrays Jesus as the son of David. It was written to the Jews, and so he was portrayed as the Messiah. Luke was really uh, written to the Greeks, portraying Jesus as the son of man. And you know Luke, uh, he wrote the gospel coined to Luke, and he wrote Acts. And so uh, the gospel coined to Luke is really part one, and then part two, you'll see in Acts 1, verse 1, he's really continuing the same story. And so uh, he's writing to his uh, buddy, most excellent Theophilus, and he continues writing. And so Luke, as a, as a doctor would, and his doctor's mentality is very thorough and he's very detailed. The Greeks were uh, very much uh, people who wanted to think. Uh, very, very, very different from, I would say, even the Jewish people who wanted to see a genealogy of Jesus. Was Jesus really the promised Messiah? Was Jesus uh, really uh, the one uh, who is the son of David, who's promised to save us all? And now we get to Mark. Mark was written to the Romans. And if you were listening very carefully, if you were smart, you had your Bible open while we were listening, uh, you heard the words straightway, immediately. And Mark was written to the Romans. The Romans, if I can just say this, they were really impatient. They were just in a hurry. They just wanted to build their empire. They wanted to create and destroy and go, 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 go. And I think uh, what better way for Anchor Baptist Church to prepare for the future in a fast-paced world, uh, instead of being worried about everything that's happening to us, uh, let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on uh, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, how he lived, how he died, and how he rose victorious. And so uh, let's examine all of these uh, things together. Uh, straightway, immediately, and I know in this uh, kind of microwave culture where we want everything instant, uh, I think this is going to be a great help to us. And so you'll look at the gospel according to St. Mark. I always look at this kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of funny to me, because it is really the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark. This isn't Mark's gospel. Every gospel account is about the Lord, and it's really uh, God's account, if you will. And uh, he writes there in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right away, you can see, hey, this is the story of Jesus. We do have a few questions, though. Who who is the author? Who, who is the author of uh, Mark, the gospel according to Mark? In my Bible, it says the gospel according to St. Mark, and I believe that Mark was a saint. Uh, he was saved. He was on his way to heaven. Uh, but who is John Mark? Who is the author of this book? John Mark is named in the Acts of the Apostles as an assistant accompanying uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. Traditionally, he's regarded as identical with Mark the Evangelist, who is the traditional writer of Mark. So anytime you hear Mark, you're usually talking about the same person. Several times, the Acts of the Apostles mentions a certain John, who was also called Mark, or simply John. 
Um, there are people we know in our lives, uh, close to us, named John Mark, and uh, those individuals probably named after this individual who is Mark, John Mark, uh, same guy, okay? And so uh, Acts 12, 12, a little more information about that. Acts 12, 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Uh, from these passages, we can learn uh, many things. We learn that John, or John Mark, assisted Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey to Cyprus, as far as Perga and Pamphylia, and then returned to Jerusalem. And they had a controversy, they had an argument um, over receiving John Mark back that led uh, Paul and Barnabas parting ways. You see, John Mark wasn't a perfect guy. John Mark made many mistakes. In fact, he abandoned the team, and he got scared, and he started doing his own thing, but Barnabas was more of an encourager, while Paul was more of a type A personality, and uh, John Mark uh, got kind of left in the dust as Paul decided to take another partner, and Barnabas took with him John Mark. The reasons for John Mark's departure to Jerusalem, the subsequent disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, have been subject to much speculation. Uh, Matthew Henry, a uh, commentator, uh, for example, suggested that John Mark had departed without Barnabas and Paul's knowledge or without their consent. And we know that uh, commentators are just commentators. They're just ordinary people. But uh, Matthew Henry, uh, good idea there, good thought. John Mark probably did not have their permission to leave. And so here's someone who abandoned the team, but later on the Apostle Paul would say, hey, Bring John Mark with you because he is profitable for the ministry. And so God didn't give up on John Mark. And John Mark, uh, in the end, uh, ended up writing one of the uh, books in our King James Bible. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Mark was likely the cousin of Barnabas. And so uh, I believe there was some familial bias there, I guess, with Barnabas taking him on again. And uh, he was mentioned by Paul as a fellow worker in the closing of the uh, three Pauline epistles. And so now that we know who wrote the book, uh, let's dive in a little bit more uh, to uh, uh, some more facts and some more ideas uh, and some more thoughts about the book of Mark and its origins. Remember, this is not a new story. This is not a new story. The New Testament is not as disconnected from the Old Testament as some might assume. Uh, I, I've heard in recent days uh, some, some modern pastors and some theological liberals that want to unhitch from the Old Testament, saying we don't need the ceremonial law, we don't need uh, the old uh, messianic prophecies, we can just unhitch from the Old Testament, just focus on the New Testament. But I find in the New Testament, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, uh, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so the New Testament is also important and just as important as the Old Testament. The authors of the New Testament were well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures and constantly referencing Old Testament passages and stories. Jesus and the apostles saw Jesus' story as a continuation of the Hebrew Bible. In the Gospel of Mark, notice, the emphasis is more on the deeds of Jesus than the words of Jesus. More on the deeds of Jesus than the words of Jesus. Because remember who this was written to? It was written to the Romans. They were go, go, go. They just wanted to do their thing. And they didn't need an explanation. They just wanted to say and find out, okay, what did Jesus do? 
And then once we know what he did, we're going to copy him or something like that. And so uh, we see the Gospel of Mark pictures Christ in action. There's a minimum of discourse and a maximum of deed. And so uh, look, look at that first verse again in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir, and there's, there's a lot of people here that know more than the Bible, more about the Bible than I do. And so who was this voice of one crying in the wilderness? Just yell it out loud. Who was the voice? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, right? Verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and did preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And we know from other uh, uh, parts of the Bible that John had a good heart attitude. In John 3.30, his attitude was, Jesus must increase, I must increase decrease. You know what John said? John, in his life, he really believed this. He said, you know what? The Lord must increase. I must decrease. I'm just a voice. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes, to touch his sandals. You know, I'm just a servant. I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. Verse 5, um, you know, there was some charisma about John. He was such an eloquent speaker, or he must have been at least brash or unusual, because um, you'll see in verse 6, he was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. He did eat locusts and honey, so he had a weird diet. He had weird clothes. And so what happened was in verse 5, there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And he preached... He said, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals, speaking of Jesus. And then he said in verse 8, I baptize with, uh, you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And, and then this, this uh, gospel account just goes on and on, just quickly, quickly, quickly. Baptism and the temptation of Jesus, we find. And while Matthew uh, chapter 4 takes a long time to talk about the temptation of Jesus, um, where, you know, uh, Jesus was tempted of the devil immediately after God said, thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was tempted of the devil, but Mark, it just glazes right over that, and it just keeps going. Uh, verse 16, Jesus calls four disciples. Uh, he calls Simon and his brother Andrew. He calls James and uh, John, and they leave their dad, Zebedee, in the boat. I'm, I'm not sure what Zebedee was thinking. Maybe he was saying, all right, son, Go off, going off uh, Jesus' reputation, you're good to go. Maybe he dismissed them with their blessing. Maybe he was cursing them out. He was a fisherman. He's like, hey, we have a lot of work to do. Why, why are you following this Jesus fellow? Anyway, he's, he might be a little strange. He might be a little awkward, but they left him anyways. And James and John, James the older brother and John the younger brother, they were in the ship mending their nets in verse 19. And then by verse 20, they followed after Jesus. You heard the unusual voice on the, on, on, the, uh, on the MP3 we just listened to, and we learned about an unclean spirit being cast out. Thank the Lord that he's still in the saving business, and he can cast out uh, devils, and he can cast out uh, uh, demons, and, 
any bad problem in our life, he is capable of solving those things. Uh, we see in verse 29 through 34, the sick were healed and the devils were cast out. And then Jesus began preaching in Galilee. And then uh, not long after that, he went from synagogue to synagogue. In our modern context, that would be like an evangelist or a preacher going from church to church or even from bar to saloon to any public forum or speaking place, Jesus was there, you know, and he was, he was always, he was always uh, telling people about uh, the message, uh, but specifically in their relig religious establishments in their synagogues, but he was also about open-air preaching and just getting the gospel out there. In verse 40, we hear about a leper being cleansed, and so glad that our Savior is not just in the saving business, but he's in the cleaning business as well. Verse 40 Mark 1, verse 40, there came a leper unto him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, uh, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I like the faith of this leper, and he believed that the Son of God could do a miracle of God, and verse 41, Jesus was moved with compassion. And, and that's a wonderful thing to see, because our Savior to this day is still moved with compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, we see that he looked on the fields that they were white all ready to harvest, and he was walking through the villages, and Jesus' heart was moved with compassion, not just uh, for the multitudes, but also for the one we see here. To this one leper, he says, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him. And we'll see doctors today, and sometimes they'll prescribe medicine, or they'll prescribe a, a pill or a drug, and then we can expect that to take place, uh, maybe the healing effects over a long time. But Jesus healed immediately, and the leprosy, which is a picture of sin, was immediately uh, cleaning him up, or uh, cleaned from him. The leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Verse 43 I'll be honest with you, I'd like to study it some more, but I've not studied this out thoroughly myself. He charged him. He straightly charged this individual. He said, all right, leper, I should say this former leper, listen, man, see thou say nothing to any man. Don't tell a soul. But go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Jesus, or Moses rather, commanded for testimony unto them. Now, I don't think Jesus would ever say anything he didn't mean, right? And so I think that if this leper had been an obedient leper or a, 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 an obedient individual, if he had obeyed Jesus' instruction there, um, uh, good things would probably have transpired. But that's historically not what happened. In verse 45, he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city. And so I wonder if the consequence of his disobeying uh, the command of, uh, of Jesus was that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city. However, God knew that was going to happen anyway, such is the paradox of, you know, serving a God who knows what's going to happen and yet allows things to happen anyhow. And isn't it interesting, in the latter part of verse 45, he could no more openly enter into the city but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. That's every nook, every cranny, every place. If they heard Jesus Christ was in town, they were going to try to find out where he was and try to find out uh, how they can talk to him. 
I'm glad we, we're able to talk to the Lord at any time. You know, we don't, we don't have to time our arrival. We don't have to check and see, is, is Jesus busy right now? <laughs> no. Hey, uh, we can come to the Lord from any quarter, uh, from, from any uh, place in our house, in our home, whether we're at church or somewhere else, maybe on the streets, door knocking or uh, evangelizing, telling, telling other people about the Lord. We can still reach out. Uh, to the Lord, and any place, any time, and once again, it's because of what Jesus did for us. And so really, a, a short study, a quick study tonight, but I want you to be thinking about what we've just read and what we've uh, thought about, and I'm looking forward to going through uh, each of these uh, chapters with you slowly, and uh, just a few more th uh, thoughts here to uh, close out. As I've mentioned, to recap, the original audience was the church in Rome. It was killing time in Rome. The church was experiencing the holocaust of Nero, if you will. The emperor Nero, he was a God-hating man. And many believers had been burned alive at Emperor Nero's garden parties. And two of the church's most important figures, uh, uh, Peter and Paul, had been executed. Soon after, there appeared among them a small book, and this was Mark's gospel, really written uh, to remind them of the nature of Jesus' own Messiahship as God's suffering servant, and also to encourage cross-bearing discipleship. As I've alluded to, the gospel account was most likely written in Rome, where John Mark was attending to both Peter and Paul before their deaths. And so a lot of um, what he learned uh, is that um, re really not being directly beside Jesus, he heard um, eyewitness accounts from Peter. So Peter uh, told a lot of what had happened in his own life to Mark, and then Mark recorded this. And so we see this really from Peter's perspective and Mark's perspective. And uh, we, we also ask ourselves this question, how did Mark write his gospel? How did Mark write his gospel account? Much of the gospel of Mark, uh, as I mentioned, comes from Peter's retellings as the disciple and eyewitness of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Mark helps to turn Peter's, uh, Peter's stories into a connected, fast-paced narrative that demonstrates Jesus' power and authority as he does the work of his father. It's a good work, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Amen. Mark wrote to a group of Christians who were living in difficult circumstances, perhaps making it challenging for them to see and believe that the kingdom of God was still among them. What are some difficult circumstances in your culture, in your church, in your family, in your home, uh, on, on the campus that you're at, in your own life, that make it difficult for you to see or believe that the kingdom of God is still among you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We know that the gospel is not my word to you, but that this is God's word to you and this is God's word to all of us. God's word, God's goals. Remember, you cannot find yourself. Nobody finds themselves. Watch this, please. You can't find yourself, but God can find you. God's a gentleman. He won't kick down the door to our hearts. But at some point, God will wait on us. And so we must seek the one who's been seeking us. And just like he healed that leper, 
is capable of healing each and every one of us. If you're under the sound of my voice, please don't leave here lost tonight because that's why Jesus came to earth. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you have any questions about that, uh, we have men and we have ladies with God's love in their hearts and uh, his word in their hands that can show you from the Bible how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. Whether you're listening online or here in this room, remember, Jesus loves you. And that's why we meet, to preach this same gospel. Let's learn more about it in the days ahead.